You're listening to the North American Francophone Podcast, hosted in English by Claire-Marie Brisson and proudly recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome to another episode of the North American Francophone Podcast. I'm your host, Claire-Marie Brisson, and I'm excited to present the first interview as part of the Franco-American Voices series on this podcast. This series aims to highlight the multiple geographies and diversity that is present in North America based off of all of the different peoples who make up the Francophone community, as well as those people who call themselves Franco-Americans or French-Canadians. Today's guest, Camden Martin, represents Francophone Maine, past and present. You'll hear in our phone interview together that we shared so many different topics. We talked about French language and how a Franco-American can understand themselves through French, but also through English. We talked about Maine's connection to the Francophonie and how that connection looks today in 2020. I was very excited also to see Camden's enthusiasm for the Francophonie, and I'm sure that you will be too after you hear this interview. Without further ado, I'm going to present the phone interview as we had it together. Remember, if you're interested in being part of the Franco-American Voices series, feel free to reach out to me on thefrancophone.com and send over your contact information. I would love to have representation from all parts of North America and beyond. Today on the North American Francophone Podcast, I'm pleased to present Camden Martin, who is from Lewiston, Auburn, Maine. And Camden is a proud Franco-American amateur researcher, and he also worked at the Museum of Lewiston, Auburn. Thank you so much for joining us on the North American Francophone Podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me, Camille. It's uh, really special because I've been following your podcast, and what an honor to be with you today. Well, thank you again so much. It's it's really great to reach out across the miles to different people who have kind of the same experience. Um, yeah, so you're think, absolutely right. Yeah, so one of my first questions is, how do you feel connected to the Franco-American community of Lewiston-Auburn? What's your experience being a Franco-American there? That's a good question because I would say that there's a multifaceted you know, aspects I could say in you know what constitutes the Franco-American identity here in Lewiston, Auburn, or let alone Maine. I myself am very involved in a lot of Franco-American causes. You know, for example, I am in contact. I kind of put it upon myself to really reach out to anyone that speaks French in Lewiston, Auburn, whether it's people that are French-Canadian descent, French-Canadians themselves having immigrated here directly from Quebec, uh, people that come from France or other French-speaking countries, notably from the African continent. Here in Lewiston, Auburn, we have kind of a little bit of a renaissance, if you will, of, of French speakers. Uh, uh, we have a lot of people coming now from countries such as the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, Brazzaville, and uh, it's been really, I've, I've been very involved uh, with getting to know these you know, different people coming here, kind of introducing them uh, to Lucid Auburn and really becoming friends with them. And then also because of myself being French-Canadian in a sense, I spent a lot of time with whether it's relatives or quasi-relatives, uh, because you know when you're French-Canadian descent in the United States or in North America, there's a good chance you're related somehow. And so I would say that we here in Lucid Auburn, we have been called the, um, the Franco-American collection with USM, so the University of Southern Maine. Um, so I kind of do a lot of research there, and I kind of help out whatever kind of francophone cause there is. Here we have, we kind of used to have, not so much right now, but we had a lot of little groups of French Canadians, uh, people of French Canadian descent, usually of a little bit 
you know, older age group and in meeting with people that were coming from the African continent that were French speaking. And there were little clubs to keep on practicing French, but also as a way to welcome new Mainers that spoke French. Uh, I have met a lot of good friends that way. And I kind of work with committees on trying to keep that going. I also work on a committee to get uh, a French language program in Lewiston, our public school system. Kind of in the works right now. It's very, very, very beginning. But little things like that. I could kind of go on and on and on, but <laughs> I think we're going to take a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, for people who are not from the Lewiston, Auburn area, what does Francophone issues and Francophone community engagement look like for you growing up in that area? Was it really present, or do you think that there was a new wave of Francophonie that sort of revived the area? That's a great question. So, um, growing up, you know, I grew up with the Mémère et Pépé, you know, I grew up speaking English as a child, and French language is something very common, you know, you just hear usually people of an older age speaking it, but it was, you know, if you will, Louis and Auburn was synonymous uh, of uh, the French language, uh, just because of the history that we have in here in town. So, growing up, it was very much the same experience you could have all across New England, you know, the French language is there, the identity is there. It's kind of on the periphery of mainstay, you know, the main things that are going on, but very much present. It would be a lot different, you know, 50 years ago, it would be much more in your face. Since growing up, it wasn't something that was really that present, but at the same time was. It was kind of omnipresent. And then I would say in the last 10 years, however, because of the new immigrants coming to this area, like I said, coming particularly from the African continent um, and that's the French, uh, we've definitely seen a resurgence in importance and, you know, valuing French language as, you know, we need new people to speak French. And we've seen a lot of people that are French Canadian descent that work in, you know, hospitals that are really highly solicited because they can speak French and they're able to interpret with patients. Uh, we've also, you know, just on the, I would say nowadays, you can still hear French being spoken quite often, you know, whether it's in stores, you know, pub, any kind of public place, I would say. But uh, beyond that, it still remains something kind of marginal in the grand scheme of things in terms of presence, you know, in terms of in the mindset of the people of Lewis and Auburn. You know, I'm thinking of Lewis and Auburn, and are you able to see traces of what was there 70 years ago, maybe buildings, names of places being more or less francophone or maybe French in translation? And do you think That's that that environment was more or less welcoming to people, say, from Africa or from even new immigrants from Quebec or from Canada in general? I really like that question, actually. Um, these are things I kind of ask myself. So to answer your question, seven years ago, well, I mentioned seven years ago because it was a little bit more popular. So, for example, in Lewiston, you had the French newspaper, which was known as Le Messager, and it ran until 1967, which is kind of late for New England if we look at other, you know, New England towns. And it was interesting in the last, I would say, towards the end of its time in circulation, the, the Le Messager newspaper was actually the largest uh, daily newspaper in the United States of French language, actually, in terms of subscriptions. Uh, it actually had the most amount of people subscribing to that towards the end in the entire uh, United States which is really neat. And so you had a lot of institutions that are no longer exist. You had uh, like uh, Le Club Richelieu. You had, you had a lot of uh, snowshoeing clubs, 
Uh, you had the club montagnard. Uh, you had les racateurs. So you had a lot of exchange between people from Lewis and Auburn being Franco-Americans and people coming directly from Quebec. In the 1950s, for example, you had uh, La Convention des Racateurs, and you had you know, almost 5,000 people come here. You know, So it was very, very present. And then, of course, as Franco-American tradition, they built churches. And so here in Lewis and Auburn, we have uh, La Basilique Saint-Pierre et Saint-Paul, so the Basilica of Saint-Pierre and Saint-Paul, And um, it just became a basilica within the last 20 years. Uh, however, it is the second largest Catholic church in New England. Uh, it is very, very beautiful. I do have to say I'm not impartial to that because, you know, I come from this area. I'm very proud to see this beautiful building. Um, when you go inside, you know, all of the uh, stained glass is all in French. So it's very much a symbol of, you know, uh, the French-Canadian presence. It's, it's funny you said about in terms of, you know, what was the ambiance, if you will, So I would say back in the 1940s and 50s, there was a lot of, you know, traveling theater groups. You had a lot of, uh, you know, little cultural groups. You had like uh, Le Club Littéraire, uh, Musical Littéraire. And it was, there was so much activity. There was so much music and arts circulating in Luce and Auburn that you actually had a Franco-Québécois historian by the name of Robert Rumilly, who actually called Luce and Auburn the Athens of French North America, which, of course, huh. I'm very proud to hear and say. Uh, but it's something a little bit unique to Luce and Auburn because, of course, you know, in, in New England, you had major industrial centers that welcomed French Canadians, whether it be in Manchester, New Hampshire, Woonsocket. Um, but there was something a little bit unique in Luce and Auburn where you just really had this kind of In terms of population and, you know, in terms of the density of population per capita, you did have a lot of music and arts uh, within the French language. Um, actually, in 1950s, Lewis and Auburn had the highest musician per, per capita in the entire United States during the 1950s in terms of little uh, home bands and garage bands and whatnot. So uh, wow. there was a lot going on in, the, in terms of French language. Like I said, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely declined. I would say the, the 70s really was the kind of end of that. You had a lot of the different uh, parishes, had different celebrations each year. Here in Lewiston, we have many different Franco-American parishes. So you had, of course, St. Peter, Peter and St. Paul's Parish. You had St. Mary's Parish, Holy Family, Holy Cross. So there was, and even actually, um, I was told, you know, by people who moved here from other uh, states and within New England, and when they came to Lewis and Auburn, for example, I know of a gentleman that when he came here, he used to work in insulating. It was part of a program, state program, in insulating some kind of on the lower end housing. And uh, back then on the team, you always needed someone to speak French, otherwise, because of just how many people spoke French. And uh, what was really, what's really struck him is when he came here, people referred to where they lived as in living in parishes, a lot like if you were in Louisiana right now, which is really neat because it's completely disappeared um, from our kind of vernacular, if you will. We don't refer to parishes anymore. Uh, but within, you know, 40 years, uh, that's changed. Uh, so I, I think if new Francophones that we're seeing here today in Maine, if they had come back then and, you know, during that time, I think that they would find it even easier to communicate with people because you just have so many French speaking. You, of course, you would have newspaper in French. You would have radio in French. Everywhere you could go, you could always find someone in French. Granted, you know, back then, um, there would have been a little bit of a, I would think, you know, unfortunately, there would have been a little bit of a racial question. Unfortunately, maybe with the French language, they'd be able to kind of, you know, unite. I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, of course, back then, the mentalities weren't the same. Um, so that's that was always something I've always wondered. But, uh, yeah, I would say that. That's interesting. And, and you know, it, I'm hearing a lot that the communities in Lewis and Auburn were surrounded by the parish, the idea of the parish, structuring the town, the towns maybe even surrounding by parishes. And I'm seeing that, you know, you said that in the 1970s, French started to decline in Lewis and Auburn. 
And I'm thinking of, in Quebec, for example, the quiet revolution, la révolution tranquille of the 1960s, right. where you have a push away from the church. Yet at the same time in Quebec, there's a movement towards protecting the French language, which is an interesting connection there, you know, moving towards having more of a, a solidarity in Quebec. And yet in Lewiston-Auburn, it seems like there was a push away from maybe the church, but then not a preservation of the language. Do you think that those two events could have been linked? Um, it's possible, but I kind of doubt it because, to be honest with you, you know, I've, I spoke a lot of... Um, with people who were growing up during that time of uh, La Révolution Tranquille. And a lot of people in this area were not really aware of what was going on in Quebec. And here I would say that people were, you know, in the 60s and 70s were still pretty fervent Catholics, being the Franco-Americans. And so there was a, it was a little bit of a disconnect. I would say by the end of the 60s, that's really when you see this huge disconnect between what's going on in Quebec and having that being in the mentality of the people here in Lusson-Armour or across Maine. Granted, that doesn't speak for everyone, but I would say... You know, generally speaking, at that time, a lot of people weren't, you know, they kind of knew about René Lavaik and these kinds of people, but it was, at this point, a lot of times, Franco-Americans really consider themselves Americans, and they stopped paying attention to those kinds of things. That's why in the 70s, we see a huge decline in French language, because that's when a lot of the older generations were dying out at that time. It did kind of linger on until the 80s and 90s. And, you know, like I said, it's still in the area, uh, but definitely in terms of prevalence, it really declined after then. It's interesting, though, I would say by the 80s and 90s, however, that's when we see a large decline in uh, people going to the different Catholic churches. For example, the Basilica of St. Peter's and Paul, I mean, it's it's a really large church. Um, but now I would say that they only have, you know, 100 maybe on Sundays. And a lot of times they do, they still have a French service and they do it in the basement of the church. And they probably have a few hundred people that come to that. Interestingly enough, they're serving a a lot of the new Francophones, new Mainers coming to this area, and then, of course, uh, some of the older uh, French Canadians or Franco-Americans in this area. And so thinking about the Francophonie, I actually was brought to you through Louisiana from something that was done, right? Uh, so this done worked with the Francophonie and met you, even though you're in Maine. And I'm thinking about all of the different areas of New England, for example, like Manchester, New Hampshire, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. You know, these areas all had rich Franco-American traditions. And then I'm thinking more broadly about the Franco-Americans in Louisiana, in the Great Lakes area, as where I'm from. And right. also the French Canadians in Quebec, but also outside of Quebec in Alberta, British Columbia. Have you found that there are stronger connections at this point with those communities than maybe even in your own community? Or do you think that we just build on one another? How, how do you see the Francophonie in North America at this point? Hmm. These, these are things that keep me up at night. Um, you know, it, so for example, the, the way I met Joseph Dunn is, you know, we I had attended a uh, conference in Moncton last summer back in August. And, you know, a lot of it was how can we enhance the Francophonie across North America? And I think the key question is a lot of us don't know of each other's existence. For example, a lot of people here in New England don't know about the Francophones of Michigan. And they don't know that, and a lot of people in Quebec don't know about Francophones of the United States. or they don't even know about the Francophones of uh, Western Canada. And I think a lot of us were in isolation and there's not a lot of exchange between us or even the knowledge of each other's existence. And I think, of course, we have different people, you know, for example, both of us, you know, we're really interested in 
other people and what they're doing, but I think on the grand scale, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of work to be done about kind of teaching each other's different presence and working on it. For example, um, in an initiative out of Quebec City, you have Le Réseau des Villes Francophones et Francophones, so the network of French-speaking and uh, Francophone and uh, Francophile cities of, of North America that meet, and the whole idea is how can they, as cities, work together. So, for example, Lucent Arbor is part of that. Duluth, uh, Missouri is part of that. You have, you know, Lafayette. Multiple places across America are part of that. Uh, but again, it's mostly mayors and whatnot to get together, whereas it would be really nice to see different localities getting together and having, like they used to do for in, in New England, the turn of the century, they used to have huge Franco-American uh, conventions, and they'd meet all across, and they'd have different uh, congresses, if you will. You have people from Stanford, Maine, they were meeting up with people from Fall River and New Bedford and Manchester and Berlin, New Hampshire, and so on and so forth. And they would be getting together. And I think, why why shouldn't we be doing that anymore? You know, I think we it's something that should be explored. You know, I think there needs to be kind of, I think we need to be shaken up a little bit. And I think we need to start in, interacting with each other. Granted, you know, distance and geography is a little bit of a, is a problem. But nowadays, you know, with technology, as we're all seeing with coronavirus, you know, things like uh, Zoom and Skype, those are all really good options in connecting with people. And I think that's things that we could apply uh, going forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've even met with people that I never would have met with before because of this current situation. I think that we have a lot of possibilities to keep growing and building. And I also had another question for you, speaking about language and speaking about the francophonie and talking about these Franco-Americans. You mentioned that French was in decline in New England starting in the 1970s. There are a lot of people who can call themselves Franco-Americans but might not speak French. And I know that you have also studied French. I sort of wanted to maybe talk about your own story with French and then talking about what does it mean to be a Francophone if you can't speak French, right? You know, having right. this idea, being able to speak in English, but having ideas that may be influenced by French, maybe influenced by parents or grandparents mm-hmm. who did speak French and who totally changed the language, totally changed that mindset for you. I think those would be pretty interesting topics to hear from, from your perspective. Yeah, it's funny. So you, you mentioned that because I've read a lot about old journal entries, you know, from different Francophone newspapers across New England. A lot of times they're asking that question, what does it mean to be Franco-American? Does it mean the ability to speak French and so on and so on, you know, observing certain cultures? And, you know, to first answer your question, you know, my, my story of the French language is a story, <laughs> not to sound corny, but it's a story of romance. You know, I really love <laughs> the French language, you know. I, it really started, I would say, uh, when I was in middle school in the United States, we started off pretty late in choosing foreign languages, and I, I chose French because I always grew up told, you know, you're French descent and never really taking the time to understand what that meant. And so I took French, you know, also because I knew my sister had taken it. So I figured if I ever had questions, I could ask her. So it was, it was just, you know, a class at the time. And then I would say middle school going to high school, you know, at that young age, you're kind of trying to figure out who you are and you're trying to figure out what your identity is. What does that all mean? And I kind of just had this thought in my head. I said, you know, if I really want to understand who I am and where I'm coming from, I might as well learn French because that's the language of who I am. And not that I have been speaking that language, but if I look in history, generations of, you know, my last name is Martin and Martins, they've been speaking that for the last 400, 500 years. And so yes. it's strange to me to think that it would stop with me because my father grew up speaking French. You know, he grew up speaking French until he was about five years old and he used to go to parochial school and French and English. My father still speaks pretty good French. So I kind of just decided that I would do everything I could possibly 
do to learn French. So, of course, I was learning at school, and that was good to learn grammar rules and whatnot, but I really started to immerse myself in French as much as I could. So what did that translate to? So a lot of times, you know, I, you know, I would translate anything that I had that was technology-wise, I'd translate in French. So I put my phone in French. I'd even put my gaming devices in French at the time. I started trying to find French articles online, and I would have such a hard time trying to understand, but I just listened to it. Sometimes I just put the radio on, not understand a thing, but I was just, I knew that if I would expose my ear to it, that over time, that it would have an impact. And so I was doing that for a couple of years. And so, you know, I was really, really interested. And then I started practicing with my grandmother to speak French and asking her how to speak French in, to me and whatnot. And at first I had a hard time of understanding, but it, with time I got better at it. And then I would say that when I was a sophomore in high school, I learned about a scholarship to go to France for about two months. And so I, I, there was a, basically it was a contest. You had to write an essay in French and English, why it would be beneficial for you uh, to, to go to France. And it was a national contest. And so I said, well, I have nothing to lose. I didn't think I had a chance to win, but I figured out it would be a good learning experience. So I tried it out. And then about a month later, I found out it was down to be between me and another person and that we were going to have an interview over the phone to, to distinguish who would win the prize. And ultimately, I had won it, and I was going to go to France for two months, and I was very, very ecstatic. And I think what really <laughs> spoke to them was because, I, like I just said, I, I really shared my passion of why French was important to me. It was the key to better understanding who I was. And it was since now, you know, years have passed and I've learned not only do I speak French, sometimes better than English, and then learn other languages. And I've really learned that each language is like a lens. When you wear them, when you speak them, it's a way, it's a different way of looking at life. And I would never have been able to appreciate my ancestors without being able to, I wouldn't be able to appreciate them as much, I would say. Of course, I would be able to appreciate them, but I would have never been able to appreciate them as much without understanding their own language, the, the poems that they left or these things um, and the different histories. And so... I ended up living in France for two years uh, during high school, and then I came back. Uh, because I spoke French, I was able to get a job coming home. I took a sabbatical year, and I was working in a call center doing customer service in French for people from Quebec. And that's how a lot of, I met a lot of new, uh, new mainers that spoke French coming from you know, Congo and whatnot, and we're still very good friends to this day, you know, family, if you will. And you know, that's what was interesting. I, I met a lot of older French-Canadian, you know, people of French-Canadian descent in this area that had got that job because they spoke in French. Um, and then afterwards, I eventually started going to school in Quebec and the Lac-Saint-Jean region of Saint-Félicé. This is environmental protection, and so I did everything once again in French there. And I'm very happy that I did education in French because it's one thing to grow up speaking it, but it's another thing to, to learn in that language. And then uh, I ended up coming back here, and it's definitely served me because all the time, even at my job at the museum, we get people coming from Quebec, we get people coming as new mainers, as visitors, and I'm often asked to speak French. And for me, I seek it out. You know, as soon as I hear an accent, you know, it's a little bit of an accent, I'll start speaking French with people. Uh, it's just it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. So to answer your question about whether it's important to speak French to consider oneself one Franco-American, I would say I'm a little, I'm a little, um, I'm not impartial for it. I, I would say it's definitely very important. You can, of course, you're Franco-American by genes. However, to really be absorbed in the identity of Franco-American, I think, you know, speaking French is really important because if you think about it, you know, we come from most of us come from Quebec and Acadie, um, and you know, they they were able to manage to save on to the the French language there for 300 years or so after the 1759. And so I think it's kind of 
our duty here in North America to keep on holding on to the French language. Of course, not all people can do that, and it's not anything against them. Uh, but if you're able to hold on to that language, and if you're able to have that little battle, kind of like what uh, Zachary Charles, he said, you know, it's kind of a militant act today to speak French to this day. And that goes for any minority language, you know, anywhere. And the same thing we could be said about, uh, you know, Native American languages. It's the same kind of idea. It's, you you kind of continue that. And language is how you perceive your environment. And so I would really wish that as many people that are interested in their origins to partake in learning French or relearning it. But of course, observing different cultures, whether it be music, you know, here we have a lot of contra dancing and things like that, dancing, food, you know, sorcière and these kinds of things. Uh, those are still very prevalent uh, here. But I think, you know, the French language is key. Uh, I would really like to see more and more people speaking French. And then after that, I think people would realize just how rich it is as a, a language, you know, beyond the fact that their ancestors spoke it and how useful it is because it's a tool to be able to speak with other people coming from different areas. Well, as a professor de français, I mean, you're speaking <laughs> my language right now. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, <laughs> and I think the last question I have for you, Camden, what is next for Camden Martin? Uh, how are you going uh, <laughs> to engage with the Lewiston Auburn community, but also with the Francophonie in general? So, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't know exactly. You know, right now I'm uh, I, I'm also on the board for Alliance Française in Portland, Maine that just started as of last summer. You know, we haven't had Alliance Française here in, in Maine in a long time. So the idea is, of course, you know, once again, promoting French culture and French language. Um, I, I try to be involved with a lot of different, you know, French speakers and, you know, notable Franco-Americans if you stay here in Maine. So, of course, here in Maine, where, you know, it's an interesting state because we have not only French Canadians that came to the industrial zones of Maine, but we also have Acadians, you know, so it's, we're a unique state in the sense that we have two distinct Francophone populations. Northern Maine is, is considered still part of Akazi. You know, I have a, a brother of mine that lives up there, and to this day, you can still go to areas and people still speak French in great numbers. And so, I, I really try to involve myself with you know uh, people that have written in French here in Maine. We have a, an author by the name of Norman Beaupré uh, from Biddeford. So, I really try to get involved with all those people. I think my ultimate goal, to be honest with you, would be to work for the International Organization of Francophonie, uh, because to me, it's all about the exchanging uh, with different Francophone populations, whether it be here in North America, whether it be in Western Africa, whether it be in Southeast Asia. I think that would be really, really ideal for me to be able to kind of act as a conduit between these different groups, all within promoting the French language and all within doing it in French, of course. You know, even doing the podcast in English was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit interesting for me. Well, you know, this is the way that we can open the door to our exactly. Anglophone friends and to encourage and inspire that multilingual realities are the way that we move forward in the world. And That's I right. am so grateful that you came on the podcast today. Merci beaucoup, Camden. And uh, if you're interested in contacting Camden, feel free to send a message to thefrancophone.com. We will be happy to relay it to our guest today. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the North thank American Francophone Podcast. Ça fait plaisir. Même aussi.